Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, that's not a TV show. But it is. But it is. It It is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. If you're a fan of Inglorious Trexperts, you're going to love Trexperts Briefing Room, a new series. Trexperts Briefing Room? What is that? I was about to explain, then you interrupted me. I'm sorry. It's curated audio commentaries of classic Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Enterprise. You're going to love it as we explore the behind-the-scenes making of all these wonderful Star Trek episodes with cast and crew that you would never expect to hear doing audio commentaries on Star Trek. Sounds like fun. It will be. And you can <laughs> find it on the Inglorious Trexperts podcast feed and on the new Trexperts Briefing podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's go see what's out there. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and, and we are. This is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Tracksperts. And what? What are you I doing? I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about. We got a great show today. We're going to talk about Lost Star Trek. Deck seven. You're not here. Very logical, Diana. But your heart doesn't constrain itself to mere logic. Your heart longs to discover me. Know the Riemann ways? The old ways. (laughs) 
bond has been broken. Find her again. This is the scenes that were either never filmed and but scripted or dropped from the, the Star entire, Trek movies. This is where the entire cast was on a desert island after a shuttle crash. Yes, that's what it is. The Lost episode. And who better to explore <laughs> Lost Star Trek with us than the biggest what? losers? <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's our honorary Trek experts. It's our guest stars. It's our our um, our Bon Vivants. It's uh, it's it's literally it's writer producer Ashley Miller and straight from the Burnett work. It's Robert Meyer Burnett. Hello, guys. Welcome back. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy Hello. New Year. Our Trexperts Emeritus. One is a rager. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's only appropriate to look back at the, you know, now I, I have to say that the um, the Roddenberry Vault, which was a Blu-ray that was uh, came out a couple of years ago, did an amazing job of looking back at um, the uh, TV series about original Star Trek scenes that were cut from the original TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it was... Uh, you know, all these scenes we'd only heard about uh, in, in the past, uh, you know, um, like uh, and had shown up in the James Blish novelizations. Right. That was a really extraordinary set. It was it was a time machine uh, back to what it was like to be on the set in 66. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the movies, the movie, because Roddenberry Vault did it so well. And if you haven't watched the Roddenberry Vault, you owe it to yourself to check that out. Find it. Yeah. Now I got to ask you guys before we get into this. You know, Darren and I have been talking. I know it's shocking. Uh, I, you know, but uh, we've been talking about. We want to start to do maybe once a month commentaries, Star Trek commentaries, and I'd love you each to pick one that we can do on the show. We know what Scott Mansis is. We don't even have to ask him. It's Metamorphosis, <laughs> right? We know that. I don't know how interesting the commentary on metamorphosis will be, but <laughs> let's 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 try and see if, if, if anyone can make it interesting. It's us, hopefully. So I want to look at you guys and ask you to pick your commentary. Pick you pick the winner. So uh, I'm going to start with Rob. What commentary would you like to lead the commentary landing party on? I won't say away team because I predict it will be a TOS episode. The immunity syndrome. Ah, oh, fine choice from Rob Burnett, the immunity <laughs> syndrome. So coming soon to the Trexperts, it's the immunity syndrome commentary from the Trexperts. So that'll be fun. We're going to be talking about the immunity syndrome. That brings us to Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley, what's your pick for commentary on the Trexperts? Uh, you know what? I think that I've got to go with uh, Next Generation's Shades of Grey. Mm. Oh, 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 fascinating. That's delightful. I love it. I was kidding when I said it, but now I'm thinking maybe that wasn't a terrible idea. Oh, no, that's a beautiful idea. Maybe we can actually do a double feature of that and a blast for Buck, which is, you know, basically the shades of gray of Buck Rogers, where Gary Coleman leads us through clips from previous episodes. That is great. Wow. See, I thought Spock's brain was clever, but I'm wrong. That's not clever. Shades of Grey, that's clever. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Okay, that I brings us it. to you, Darren Docterman. What would you like us to do on the show? Hmm. I think I, I got to stick with TOS. Um, but I think I do want to do Bread and Circuses. Bread and Circuses, Ooh, that's, that's a great. Good one. 
that's a good one for us to do too, because there's a lot to say about the television business and and gladiators. You yeah. like gladiators, which we are. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a good that's a good pick, not one that gets a lot of love. And yeah, um, I think that's a great pick. Those are all great picks. What's so your? I'm gonna I'm gonna screw it How up. How do you vote? I think I'm gonna pick from Deep Space Nine, our man Bashir. Great. Mm. Yeah, I'm gonna pick our man Bashir because I can get in a few plugs for the James Bond book. Monan loves it. <laughs> so okay, we're gonna schedule these, and um, and then we're gonna also I, I'll let you pick one. Uh, so we're gonna let the Trexperts at home uh, let us know what your pick is for uh, an episode, and we'll do it. Unless it's masks, I can never sit through that one again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Featuring the comedy watch. stylings of Brent Spiner. Watch them totally um, fuck with us and pick a Discovery episode. <laughs> of course they would. Yeah, that, that's, that'd be funny. No, it'll be great. Um, no, I think it'd be great. So we're gonna let that. We're gonna let our listeners pick. Uh, uh, pick a, a commentary. So the commentaries are gonna be Scott Mance and Metamorphosis, Rob Burnett and the Immunity Syndrome, Ashley Miller, Shades of Grey, <laughs> Darren Doctorman, Brent Circuses, and Altman. Coming up the rear with uh, our man Bashir. What? It rhymes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what show did I land on? Hardcore Fenton <laughs> Okay. Wow. Uh, and if it works, we'll do more of these. I mean, because we really have avoided doing the commentary thing for the most part because a lot of other podcasts do it. But it's like they say on the pizza boxes. You've tried the rest. Now try the best. And that's what, what we're going to do. We're going to try and... That's what it says. Did you never say that on the pizza box? Yeah, but it also has a guy going. <laughs> and recyclable. And, and I think I think if this goes well, we can start to like bring in once a month, like a special guest who has a connection to that episode who can then, you know, do the commentary with us. Like, you well, know, maybe we'll fun. call some of our previous guests to come in and the space and amoeba us. himself. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Mr. Amoeba. Welcome. LaRue. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, you know, and who knows? Many such journeys are possible. Maybe we'll do other shows. Space nineteen ninety nine. Oh, do you think we could get uh, Jerry Anderson's son to come and do uh, Space nineteen ninety nine? He would. I know him. Do you? Okay. I think I think it would be fun to get Juliet Landau. Oh yes, that would be fun. That would be fun. Why don't we get if, Paul Guilfoyle to do City you on know the, the Edge of Forever? These with commentaries us. are because people have access, easy access to Star Trek. Um, but you know, some of these other shows are, are, you know, if you don't have the Blu-rays like Buck Rogers or, um, space 1999, they're less access, widely accessible to people. So auto man is right out. Is that what we're saying? Well, you know, we should do commentary to our entire 101 <laughs> television episodes ever list. We just start and oh work on well, how many years would that be? <laughs> I mean, it took us eight hours to do the the cliff notes. Well, it would be it would be a hundred and one hours. A hundred and one. Well, be. no, it wouldn't because the way we go on, it would be more than that. Well, you can't do a commentary. Plus, you got to remember some of those were multiple parts. Flight of the War, which was a two parter. The the Clone Wars were multiple episodes. All right, mm -hmm. but my favorite Martian was only a half hour. So oh, that's true. It so were the Twilight Zones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's something to think about. No, we're not going to do all hundred and one. You don't want to do dark room? No, no. Oh, okay. 
I, you know, I want to do, uh, I want to definitely watch in the bud right now. I want to watch Lathe the Heaven again. I do too. I have it. I on, think that on, would be fun to DVD. watch that one. What? I'm sure Rob does too. I have it on DVD. I have the DVD Rob also. Lathe the Heaven, and, yeah. and, But you know, when the, when the Beatles song comes on, we have to all put the Beatles song on. Yeah, the real one. I won't watch it with the bullshit uh, version. It's, it's oh. the same thing with the, you know, Operation Spoil Sport. We've we'll got just a, have to start blasting uh, Eve Instruction. We've got to pretend to uh, have defective dreaming. Defective dreaming? Defective That's a good name dreaming. for a podcast. It is actually. Defective dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is we have too, too many ideas and not enough time to do all this shit. So true. Well, yeah. It'd be, I mean, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. Then again, we're in lockdown again for the next uh, three weeks. Unbelievable. Stay at, home. Stay at home because nobody can freaking listen because everybody feels they're freaking rights are being abridged by uh, not going out and endangering people's lives by breathing on them. Um, it's, it's a, but at least it allows us to record more podcasts. So true. And much more conveniently. Well, sure. I, much more convenient. Oh, I missed the studio. I miss oh, seeing God, yeah. Bill Ritter and, you know, the team at the, uh, at the studio. I and, miss being able to get them all done in a day. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's true. Too. As opposed to stretching them out. <laughs> yeah that's that's true that's true so and we um, had cool so, chairs and the john they Gill got cool theater. chairs in the john gill memorial podcasting studio that is that is true and i mean they built that that whole podcasting studio just for us. us i know and we don't even we can't even use it we yeah you know we could do a patterns died. of force commentary i'm sure we could find a nazi somewhere to join us for that <laughs> um they're around everywhere now these days um but uh, oh yeah that was another i love that so somebody said um you know uh, about the show i normally i would give the show a five but altman brings up politics too much so i give it a one i give you a one <laughs> you know it's like my only comment about that is that it takes it away from being evergreen that's all uh, you know what? I'm sorry to destroy people. We're talking about nonsense fantasy show and I'm talking about reality. I'm so sorry to actually bring up something that really matters in life as opposed to this nonsense that we're talking about. So if you're offended, I don't apologize. Like, so what are we talking about this week, Mark? I mean, but I don't understand why you would give us a one. You think the show is great, but you don't like you don't like the show because we talk because we say terrible things about your huckster in chief. Um. Anyway, whatever. They just don't like you, Mark. That's but all. Star well, I, Trek. I don't care. I, I want them to like the show. I don't care if they like me. I don't care. Star Trek yeah, we is like political, though. I mean, we, we, exactly. th they have many political stories in Star Trek. I, I, I like. How do you not like Patterns of Force? Is in fact a political show. You know, yeah. dealing with the 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 puppet in chief who's put in place to so Malakon can really do work behind the scenes. I mean, it, it's I, I've never understood that science fiction, fantasy, and horror uh, as a genre, multiple genres, tends to have political issues at their core. The of, good of, ones do. The the yeah. good ones do. Yeah, yeah. You know, you but won't see that best, a lot. In... At its best, it's subtle. The powers of Matthew Starr didn't really get into the nuances of the Carter Reagan era. By the way, none of those episodes wound up on our list. <laughs> so, we missed the powers no, of not. Matthew Starr. Or the Phoenix. How did we miss oh, Judson Bennett. Scott and the Phoenix? Oh my God. I love that show, dude. Come on. Okay. Now I know what I'm going to be talking about when we do the, uh, the, 
Oh, great. Back. Now, now, we, now we know who not to have on the next list. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley will not be available to discuss our 101. Strangely, we don't know what happened to his schedule. We feel so bad about it. He, he, he wasn't available. He says he's working on some kind of big TV project. But, you know, Maybe. it's been a year he's been saying that and hasn't, hasn't announced it. So I, I've been lying he's making about it up. that for he's two years. He's sitting at home picking his toes in Poughkeepsie. Maybe like the Phoenix, he will rise from the ashes of his former career. <laughs> Ouch. Oh my God! This is what happens when we record. I promise multiple. it's true. I've been working on it. I got a Canadian girlfriend. Right. It's weird. It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so none of this has anything to do with today's episode. Today's episode, I feel like you know, it's sounds like a game show. Like we got to turn the thing around. Today's episode, the magic word is, um, we're doing deleted scenes, lost scenes. Kind of like Star the first Trek fifteen movies. minutes of this episode. Right. <laughs> that would be a shame, wouldn't it, for them to miss out on the banter? <laughs> um, oh my god! You know, this is the problem with lockdown. You just get a little, you know, boop, boop, Punchy, boop, bounce a little stir crazy. Get a little stir crazy. You start to like, wear like Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. You, so you start to wear robes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're back. To wear robes because you can't bother to get all dressed up for the podcast. That's right. I have that robe. I love that robe. I got, you know who gave this robe to me? Who? Scott Mance. Nice. Mance? Scott Mance gave it to me for my birthday two well, years ago. It's given you an amazing metamorphosis. That's right. I, I look, I, I, Scott Mance, if you're listening, look, I'm wearing the robe you gave me, dude. I'm, I'm wearing my shirt. Oh, I love that. Edited by Marsha Lucas. I see that. Nice. That's great. It's great. Where'd you get that? From uh, this site. I'll tell Marshall you Lucas. off. I'll tell you off uh, off cast, but it's uh... that's that's really cool. I like Rob's shirt too. Rob, tell us what you're wearing. Uh, I have a, a Marvin the Paranoid Android from the movie version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it says this will all end in tears. Yeah, and it's it funny. Did. You know, we were talking about whether or not <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy should have made our countdown, but we all agree that the radio show and the books were great. Yeah, but that the TV show wasn't that good. No, so it didn't make our countdown, but we yeah. love Douglas Adams and we love Absolutely. the radio show. If we did 101 greatest radio episodes of all time. Well, the thing is, it, most it, people don't realize that it started as the radio show. Yeah, it didn't true. start out exactly. as books. Right. The first version of it is the best. And every later version he came up with got a little worse for some reason. Yeah. So and let me ask you. Odd. Anyway, if we were going to do greatest radio shows of all time, you know, sci-fi radio shows. So. Definitely Hitchhikers, right? Hitchhikers. I think Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Uh, I thought that was good. That that was part of the original. Oh, that was part part of the original Hitchhikers. Yeah, I think think that was the the second season of the Hitchhikers. Star Wars and Empire, but not Jedi. Absolutely. The the, the NPR Star Wars uh, and Empire radio shows are amazing. Yeah. Then Um, I would say, did you ever listen to Alien Worlds on, on NPR? Occasionally, Alien yeah. Worlds. Alien Worlds was cool. You know, um, what? and the BBC radio adaptation of Lord of the Rings is amazing. Really? It is huh. absolutely. And then I'd have okay. to say the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Oh, oh of definitely, course. of course, definitely with E.G. Marshall. You know, it's interesting because you look back at the in the old days, and they used to all these movies and TV shows used to have radio counterparts. Even after, like, you know, like Bonanza, there was a Bonanza radio yeah. show and Gunsmoke and, and I Have Gun Will Travel. I, I wish they still did that. Like, I would totally listen to a Star Trek radio show. Well, that's it, the thing. You know what? If they had one now, I 
bet it would be better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I think it would be fascinating. I think, I, be fascinating. I think it'd be interesting. I certainly because it would all be love, about character. It wouldn't be about spectacle. It would I be about character. I certainly right. would love to participate in it. Hmm. In a Star Trek radio show? Absolutely. Okay. You know what you could do? Hmm. You could get William Shatner to play Kirk. We should all just chip in and do it. We should chip in and pay Shatner's fee and just go and do a Star Trek radio show with Shatner. Just re redo all the episodes because he doesn't remember them. It'll be if it, if you don't remember it, it's new to you. That's right. You know what would be really cool. You know what you know what would be really cool to be honestly to adapt like the Reeve Stevens book, The Ashes of Eden. And, oh, you've been and, on that kick for like thirty years. Well, not Ashes of Eden. Final or or uh, uh, the uh, uh, prime, prime, directive. prime directive. Prime well, directive is really good. But it's really good. But Ashes of Eden's good too. And Shatner co-wrote that book. See what so. I would like to see is the Joy Machine, which was the Norman Spinrad right episode that never got made for the original show. Well, and, uh, then, and then of course there's the episode that. Uh, uh, that Milton Berle was supposed to be in, He Walks Among Us. Right. Yes. Were there only outlines or were there scripts? Were there just pitches for these or were there actual there, scripts? I think there was a script for that one. Oh, see, that would be great. Because at some point, Uncle we were going to do it on on uh, uh, James Cawley's group, uh, New Voyages. Now, if Bill doesn't want to do it, if only we knew a guy who sounded like Shatner. I don't, where would we find such a man? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that would be pretty cool. I mean, those were, uh, you know, it's amazing if, if they if NBC had just, you know, extended the season like they were supposed to. If they hadn't cut the order, yeah. we would have that many more episodes of Star Trek the third season. Well, you could start out by redoing the Power Records uh, episodes. Yeah, because Alan Dean Foster wrote those. Yeah. Or you could take the log series and expand the animated episodes That's into true radio too. shows, into our radio shows. I think we got a we've got a multi-million dollar idea here. Not one that would make multi-million dollars. It wouldn't make us any money. It would cost it's a great idea dollars, yes. because we couldn't charge for it. Right. Um, but uh, you know, the funny thing is it's like it's like when we talked about these stage readings, like we could bring in like high profile people to do these too. Hell yeah. And if lockdown is gonna keep continuing, maybe we should. Yeah. Because what else is there to do? <laughs> I don't know. It really is getting to the point where I'm uh, going a little nuts. I can only talk so. We all go so a little long. crazy sometimes. <laughs> I'm going slightly mad. <laughs> this is like the ninth hour I've been. This will be the ninth hour today I've been talking. Really? How do you do it? Because like I don't this know. is like the second hour, and I'm already like. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, for my own show, what keeps me going is the letters people write. Right. Oh, so that's I can, good. Yeah. That and so that, but. I mean, I, I did a stream with a guy in Melbourne and, and uh, one guy was in Melbourne and one guy was in the UK and me. And we did two and a half hours on Hot Toys figures. Wow. wow. Oh my God, I should tell my son. He'll want to listen to that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> He's obsessed with Hot Toys. 
We're never going to talk about the uh, lost scene. No, no, we are. We are. We are. We are. We are, we are. <laughs> There's, yeah, that's ironic. The lost scenes are the lost scenes of this podcast. <laughs> this is going to be the lost episode of Trexperts when it never airs. <laughs> the funny thing is, we get feedback from listeners, and they love these kind of uh, freewheeling discussions uh, with us for some reason. I know. Well, we've been doing so many interview shows lately. That, you know, and people like, I just like when you guys bullshit as opposed to like do all these well, interviews. They're going to the love this. Love to grab ass. <laughs> it's, <yeah. laughs> and it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's like we're recording this right before New Year's Eve. And, and uh, you know, other than uh, Ashley, none of us are actually working right now. We're all just sort of kicking back and enjoying the holiday. Um, and sure. uh, so this is a. Uh, a lovely, lovely little get together. Yeah, I never stop, man. I'm a machine. You are. Yeah, I know. You, you, we, you work, work, work. We all work, work. You know. I worked <laughs> on uh, the Tango Shalom trailer. Finally got finished today, which I'm happy oh, about. Oh, so you nice. were. I, I take it back. Rob was working today too. We're so going to. I'm telling Darren, you, nice. we're going. The Borscht Belt's loving us. We've gotten into five Jewish film festivals so far, and we're just going to be rolling right through 2021. What? Nice. That's awesome. Mazel Tov. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So this is an interesting subject that we're going to talk about today. Is it? It's the law scenes of trick. Is it? I don't Fascinating. Know. The law scenes of trick. So, Darren. Yeah. La- La- Darren, uh, let's talk about Star Trek: The Motion Picture because, of course, that's an interesting case because, as we all know, there was the original theatrical version, and then, much to our young delight, when ABC aired it over two nights miraculously there are all these new scenes some of which went into the director's edition others yeah. which did not um and i'd love to hear from you um sort of that initial response what some of those scenes were and then why the decisions you made uh what to keep for the director's edition and what you jettisoned well i think that uh, mr wise's uh edict was that if it enhanced the characters if it gave us some uh, additional depth to uh, who they were or why they were there or uh, how it, it it sort of advanced their journey through the story, then it should be included. And, and it was always intended to be included. Um, but I think, you know, particularly like, uh, let's just say the scene with uh, Sulu going gaga over Ilea at the, at the oh console, um, it just makes Sulu look like an idiot. <laughs> and, you know, as as much as it's fun, it's not nice seeing our crew look like idiots. Mr. Sulu. Mr. Sulu. Take Lieutenant Ilea in hand. Uh, sir? Uh, yes, of course. Your uh, pre-programming is already set in. It's all on the computer. You'll have no problem with it. Sorry. I'm sworn to celibacy, Mr. Sulu. That makes me as safe as any human female. I don't think the captain meant anything personal. I would never take advantage of a sexually immature species. You can assure him that's true, can't you? No, it's very important for the crew of a starship to be competent and to know what they're doing yeah. and for their captain to be in command and not start crying. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> not, okay. But yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's, imp- 
it's important to make sure that our hero crew are the best that they can be so that they can be, you know, ready to face any problems, any uh, emergencies, uh, any, you know, orders to accelerate that Sulu might get over the, <laughs> over the course because of the- Because ultimately Star- Starfleet is a military hierarchy. So you expect people to behave as trained military people. So that was one of the problems with that scene. I, you know, I, I guess it was trying to be comedic where Sulu is taking Ilya in hand. But yeah. uh, but but it doesn't work, does it? It it the tone of it is wrong, because yeah. it it's it, it's exactly uh, opposite of the rest of the film. I and think they were trying to sell, and it didn't work. But they were they were trying to sell, trying to sell the, the reason why that, Deltons take that oath of celibacy. Yeah, that Ilea exudes these pheromones and she drives yeah. men crazy. Yeah, which is an idea that maybe could have worked on the show, but. Yeah, but, but they don't but, explain it enough for it to, to pay off. No, yeah, exactly. unless you read there the novelization. Yeah. Right, exactly. And you um, shouldn't need to like follow the asterisk. If you need to understand this, read the book because right, we're yeah. not going to explain it in the movie. Uh, you know, especially as a nine year old who does not understand what the oath of celibacy means. Right, right. Well, we, you, you were, learn that l- later. You were older. You were. You were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, the oath of celibacy. I do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of people take a uh, an unwilling oath of celibacy, but that's a different. Oh, they get married, <laughs> but I'm bum. Um, but yeah, that that's that's one of the main you know types of scenes that uh, that really didn't serve a good purpose in the film. Uh, but of course, the whole uh, Spock crying scene you mentioned crying before, but Spock breaking down and and realizing that Viger was his kindred. And uh, that the journey that Spock was going on was the journey that V'ger was on. That was a really key moment and important part of the film that, you know, Leonard Nimoy obviously was upset that was excised from the theatrical version. No kidding. It was arguably the point it of is the, the film. It is the core of the film. Well, I mean, Absolutely. it also is 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 the evolution from the TV series and where nothing could change right. to a movie series where the characters are allowed to evolve and change. Rob, what was your re- reaction to seeing that ABC version where all all of a sudden there were all these scenes that you'd never seen before? Oh, it was it was amazing. I, I you know because we it's hard to explain to people nowadays how just how many times we really did like people say, oh, I saw that episode a hundred times, but we really did see those episodes a hundred times. Like you had watched them growing up. Uh, they were on five nights a week and I watched them literally for a decade, yeah. five nights a week for a decade. So when you, when you saw something like Star Trek, you remembered when I saw the motion picture, I saw it four times the weekend it opened. So, you know, I knew that movie like the back of my hand eventually yeah. and when you saw that abc television cut it was like wait what like like it was what's that uh, 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 and you wanted like i don't know if i had a no i probably did have my vcr maybe i didn't we didn't have a visa i'm not sure when they aired it and it was just like it, it was so stunning to see even little snippets here and there uh, when uh, uh and what about captain decker he's been yeah. with this ship every moment it's refitting our, our whatever Hura says, you know, may have just du- doubled our chances of coming back. I'm like, what? Oh my God, Billy Van Zandt had a word of dialogue. I mean, it was like the craziest <laughs> thing ever. 
<laughs> you know, you have to, I, in Starlog, you thought this guy was going to like be the star of the movie. And he, 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 I think he time. did too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it, it was incredible seeing any and, and seeing Kirk outside the enterprise in his spacesuit, even though it was unfinished, you know, the, the thing when he's, you can mm -hmm. see the whole ceiling of well, the, the thing is stage. the thing on television in window box, you couldn't, in, yeah. you couldn't see that. Right. Well, you kind of could. You, well, yeah, but yeah. you didn't. You didn't notice it as much as the as when they released it in widescreen. Right. When you're like nine years old. You don't notice it. You don't know. You don't notice the set. You don't realize yeah. it's the set. Yeah. And 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 yeah, it's only later when it's letterbox that you start to say, "Wait a second, what the, yeah, is that? That's, the that's stage? Wood. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's plywood. Wood. Wow, they really did refurbiture. <laughs> 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 they, they went to total landscaping for. Uh, and we need a whole bunch more nails to finish her. <laughs> get some. No, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, to get something new, you know, it was it was amazing. Yeah, it really it it, it, it it's hard to underestimate the uh, the impact that it had because you know whether you saw the movie and loved it or you were disappointed when to have it premiere with like and this was not common i mean it happened with superman you know and i think earthquake also had extra footage but you know this is before home video and the, the director's cuts or you know expanded versions i mean it was a huge deal and it was the same thing with superman it was kind of a mixed bag there was some amazing footage that was added and then some really dopey footage because like literally like every frame that was shot was restored to sort of put it into a, a, a you know, two night time frame. And just and so we, just so we remember that these uh, additions to the footage were um, on request from Roddenberry, not from Robert Wise. Robert Wise didn't even know it was happening. Right. So Oof. these these scenes were put in back in by Gene Roddenberry. Sure. And I think that's why the Sulu scene was in there. And that's why uh, a couple of the other things it referred to the book. Yes. You know, that being said, I, I think it's a different conversation when we talk about deleted scenes from say earthquake than when we talk about them from Star Trek or, right. or even from Superman, but especially like from, from Star Trek. Cause what Rob nailed for me was, Oh yeah. I mean, I remember look, when I was a kid, if, and I'm sure you guys were exactly the same way you show me the first few frames of an episode, like the first note or two. And I could yep. tell you exactly what episode it was mm -hmm. like without this boom like that. I could tell you. Um, and getting new Star Trek, even if it was just a new scene, man, it's like, it didn't even have to be a good scene because it was Star Trek because it was, it was something new that could be consumed. <laughs> you know, it was just, wow. It just blew my mind. It was just, it was just a little bit more and that's what mattered. And that's not an experience that you have. I think with things that you're not emotionally invested in already, which is why I think earthquake was the, was the perfect counter example. I mean, I'm sure there's earthquake fans out there like, Oh, you know, guys, that was, that was awesome. But it's, it's just not the same. Now, King Kong was shown over two nights, too. The De Laurentiis King Kong on NBC. Yeah. But I don't think there was new footage in that. That was from 76. I, I really don't think it was until Superman that you really had you new had footage. A, a major restructuring of the movie. Yeah. Well, you did. It was interesting because you did with Honor Majesty's Secret Service because um, ABC didn't know what to do with it because at that point, Sean Connery wasn't in it. Ron, Roger Moore was in it. And it when they first happened showed the other fella. Well, when it, when Honor Majesty Secret Service was first aired, they recut it so it started in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and they actually got this George Lazenby sound alike to do narration. Um, 
so that it, it could start with more action. And then it flashed back to the beginning of the movie. Wow. And it's such a weird, it'd be a great um, uh, um, something to put on um, the Blu-ray or the 4K version of Iron Majesty's Secret Service. It's such a weird piece of ephemera, of Bond ephemera. I mean, if anybody's ever seen it, it's so bizarre. Because there's no new footage. It's just recut, much like the stand, out of order. Um, and it's, it's just, and this weird, you know, guy who sounds nothing like George Lazenby. Um, but it, it, there's not new footage. But then you get to Superman. And I, I remember for everyone, that was like incredible because it was like all this new new scenes. But obviously, no, um, there was no, nobody like Richard Donner was going through and saying, oh, this is good. Let's keep this. <laughs> right. that was, you know, this thing with the, the alligator, I think there was in Lex Luthor's lair. It's like, we don't know exactly what they are. He just calls them the babies at the, the bottom. Babies. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. The babies. The babies. Yeah. They could and be the, alligators. They could be lions. We don't. Or they really could know. be babies. They could and be babies. <laughs> and for people who haven't seen it, her curious Warner Archive, to their credit, did put out the expanded ABC version yeah. of um, on 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 Blu-ray. So it, it's worth checking out because you know there, there's just it's just a very interesting curiosity in much the way uh, that the Star Trek motion picture uh, ABC cut is. Now, when you got to do the director's edition, you know you mentioned why you chose certain things, but there was also a very famous scene that will never be in the, in, in, in any director's edition, because of course it, it was supplanted by something that was reshot, but that's the famous memory wall scene. The memory Can you tell us a little bit about that? The, that was as scripted. It happened between Kirk and Spock exploring inside, whoops, exploring inside uh, the V'ger chamber. I, I almost made a V'ger sound there. There's a funky bass line <laughs> off the starboard bow, Captain. Wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's basically all the all the stuff that we learned from Spock's uh, monologue uh, that's in the released version. Um, but it's between Kirk and Spock as they explore rather uh, uninspiring set pieces as they are uh, hoisted on uh, on platforms that are not at all look like zero g and uh it's it's fairly uh it's fairly a, a, a letdown as uh as doug trumbull told me when i uh, interviewed him a couple years ago um it was the most difficult uh, job that he had to tell robert wise that he should just trash the whole sequence and start from the beginning because it just wasn't working and it wasn't anyone's fault it just it had a need to be bigger, but they didn't, uh, they didn't foresee it. And so it was uh, something that it was just limiting the scope of the movie by having, you know, just these two actors in front of fairly uh, let down scenery. Of course, that's that famous image of um, uh, Shatner being attacked uh, by Spencer by Gifts. <laughs> by Spencer <laughs> Gifts. <yeah. laughs> it's these, it's these uh, mirrored, uh, uh, shapes that are you know clustering around his neck and stuff and it just looks like a a, a cheap gift shop uh you know just vomited on him uh it's it's very sad and you know i i understand the the uh, fans need to want to see this whole thing and see the you know the uh whatever they shot at the time and they shot a bunch of stuff um but they didn't have any of the footage in the archives at Paramount. Right. Wow. Uh, and any footage that 
may or may not exist, uh, you know, exists in from other sources. Or so, private collections and things in, like that. Yeah, all, all scattered uh, around the, uh, you know, the expanse of the galaxy. So it, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things that the idea of it that was presented in the Marvel comic adaptation is interesting. And if they could have shot it like that, it might have been workable. It just wasn't possible to shoot that at that time and place. Right. Yeah. Was there anything else from Star Trek Two that you guys, uh, Star Trek uh, the motion picture, that you guys miss uh, from uh, from that that was cut from the theatrical version? You know, there are you know there are a lot of uh, sections. I can't I can't remember if we. I think we do have that uh, Anson coming in uh, in the transporter room. Uh, telling what McCoy said. He said something about uh, scrambling our molecules, something like yeah. that. I think that's in the director's edition. I think it is too. Um, yeah. Because it's, you know, it's goofy, but it, it is a nice sort of introduction to McCoy. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then there, there was the, the, the third Klingon ship being destroyed. Well, you know, that didn't really exist as a, as a visual effects element. Um, there were a couple shots that they that they had done, but nothing was final, mm. and it was just one of those things that fell to the you know wayside because they During didn't the have the mad rush. Yeah, they didn't yeah, have yeah. the time. I just think that look, they cut away from that and they come back yeah. to it. So it, ha yeah. it happened in the interim. Yeah, I mean, after all, they're Klingons. We don't really care. And we look, we've talked about this before, <laughs> but it's worth reminding people. You know, a lot of people are laboring under the delusion that somehow the Admiral Degora office scene was cut. That never, never shot. That never existed beyond the uh, script stage. Yeah. If it was even scripted, I don't know. Was it, it scripted? It was scripted, because, but never filmed. Because there's a representation of it in the novel that we right. presented on our show. I, yes. uh, I would love to have seen that. That would have been a great scene to see. You know, I think it would, I think it would gum up the pace i mean as as deliberately well, paced as the movie is i think that you know yet another scene of talking about stuff before you get to the visual effects i mean honestly because you know you're you're just delaying the trip around the enterprise which for a lot of us is a big emotional moment but i think showing kirk's obsession you know, he goes in there and he's taking on Admiral Nagura and getting the Enterprise back would have been a really interesting but thing as, for Shatner as to we, play. As we heard the version in the novel, it's not really all that compelling. Plus, yeah. you get that when he shows up on the ship and everything yeah. that he says to Will Decker, everything that he says you to the crew, that. it's like yeah. he seems like he is not out of control, but like he is just he's so driven. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and everybody that, sees it but him, which is, right. uh, I think, so crucial to that movie. As crucial as Spock crying in a way. And it adds, our favorite you know, shot of the door closing yeah, on him. Yeah, with that's the, the greatest. And it yeah. adds a little bit of uh, of uh, interest in you know who is this Admiral Nagura that we only hear about. You know, hoping that He's he'll our, show. You're revered, Admiral. Yeah, that's who he is. Exactly. He's revered. So well, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those known, things that they seldom never, used. Reserve activation. Games. I think the most interesting thing about Star Trek: The Motion Picture, of all the films, it's really the only of the films that is missing a, in a deleted scene a crucial piece of story, which of course is the Spock crying, the simple feeling. Yeah. Um, whereas um, in the, the other films we're going to talk about, you could argue, oh, this would have been nice to be in the scene. Well, this would have been nice. This simple feeling is in the is in sick bay. That is in the release. Yeah. Oh, the other one. Tears no, for, it's uh, the uh, other one. I, for, I, I yeah. weep for, for Viger as I would a brother. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that you can't 
not have the movie without yeah. that in there. No, it's yeah. it's just amazing. And Nimoy's performance is great. Great. Yeah, great. Okay, so that brings us to Star Trek Two, where there's a couple of things, some, again, mostly restored for the uh, director's uh, cut, which as Nick Meyer has said, I think on the show even, um, is not really a director's cut. It was called a director's cut to sell it uh, yeah. as a new version. You it's know, a he, cut that he, the director is fine with. <laughs> yeah, his director's cut is the theatrical release. Yes. You know, he he doesn't feel that anything was missing that he needed. Now, what is in there? Um, there there's the explanation of Peter Preston, uh, he that he's Scotty's nephew, which right. we actually are never really told in um, uh, the theatrical version, but we all knew because we read the novelization. Right. Um, and um, there and there's is, there's the the scene alternative... where, there's the scene where they're climbing down the uh, the ladders. Uh, because the turbo lifts are out, and, and uh, man is my son. Yeah, the, that man is my son, and Spock says, "Fascinating." Uh, I think there's also the explanation of Savick, like in the in yes. the, you know, I the I don't know if that I don't know if that uh, that there's only one line in the TV version where uh, he, I, maybe he says uh, the combination blood the the, yeah. the combination is more volatile than myself perhaps you know something yeah. like that and then there's a few alternate takes yeah mm -hmm. like in like, the in the turbo, turbo lift with the, uh, yeah savic yeah i remember watching that tv going wait a minute what's mm -hmm. this yeah you know you can tell it's something's different and it's not as funny and it's panned and scanned to death in uh, yeah. the tv version terrible and it, it does the comedy doesn't play the way it did in the theatrical version right. which is very it's a very interesting side-by-side -side comparison to see you know because it's the same dialogue but just yeah. the way it's shot, it's it's and edited, it's uh, it's not nearly as funny, and yeah. it's very interesting to watch as just a study in editing and cinematography. Plus, that scene has one of my favorite moments of humor in all of Star Trek when McCoy comes in. She changed her hairstyle. Hair. I noticed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so funny. It's just such a funny. Well, what's so funny is about the had noticed is he just asked her if he changed her hair. Yeah, so. that's why it's so great. I mean, it's just. Uh, just great it's a throwaway gag but it works so well yeah like it's it's it, it's it's she's so good in that movie and it's so funny because you know and talking to bob sound and talking to other people we know that you know she was very green on that movie that they had to get her an acting coach yeah. that the feeling was like that they might have to recast her and you know she's and they reshot a bunch of stuff with and in fact maybe that's what happened maybe that was one of the scenes they reshot so it's possible the difference between the ABC cut and the uh, are the original version and the reshot version of that scene. Right. Mm. Um, because they did say, Bob Salen did say they went back and had to reshoot some stuff with Kirsty because, you know, and it's something that Nick has not talked about much because I think he doesn't want to like, you know, speak ill of an actor, right. but um, you know, Laura, you know, uh, she, she was, you know, very, very green hadn't done, hadn't acted much. And, you know, by the time all is said and done, though, she's great in that movie. Yeah, she is. And I think that the the difference between these two films is that none of the uh, of the added footage really adds anything interesting to the. No, movie. If anything, it slows it down. It, it yeah. slows it down a little, and I think that just tells what a great job the theatrical version of Wrath of Khan is. Mm -hmm. That yeah. it just it just excises all the all the fat. And all the all the unnecessary bits and just moves right along and it's really well done and it plays well in the theatrical yeah. version. It's right sized. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Now, uh, the next movie that has a substantial amount of excise footage for a variety of reasons, of course, is The Final Frontier, Star Trek V. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a number of scenes, and most famously, of course, is the aborted uh, Rockman sequence that was supposed to close the movie. Rob, can you tell us a little bit about the original ending? I mean, there are some vestiges of the Rockman test, which are amusing, yeah, they're not, to say the least. Uh, I mean, obviously, these these creatures were going to come out and and menace our crew and it, it, you know it, it they the suit the suit that they had was let's just say less than perfect and it was really not good and so and there was not it was like one of them or something he like Shatner envisioned like hundreds of them coming out yeah. or something yeah. and and they're just they couldn't do it and it was interesting when I was working on the DVD of Star Trek five um, we saw some material for it and I was just like, what, what were they thinking? Like, like how, how the, there, there's gotta be a great story. I mean, obviously the brand fair and visual effects stuff happened and it was interesting. Cause I got to actually talk to brand Farron about this when I was working on something totally unrelated. And, and that is, they basically bamboozled Paramount. You can, we can do this better than ILM can, we can do it cheaper. And obviously it didn't work out. Well, so they did they, do it cheaper. They did do it cheaper. I remember it's the line producer's job to solicit bids. And, they, you know, ILM had been getting more and more expensive. They had some problems with them on Star Trek Four, And, you know, to his dying days, Harv Bennett said, we made the right choice going with Brand Fern. And I know that's something Ralph Winter has said, too. Mm-hmm. He said, on paper, we made the right choice, right. you know, not right. going back to ILM. No, and, it, and again, I mean, one of the biggest problems with Star Trek Five is its lackluster ending. Mm-hmm. And it's just it it they literally it's like Star Trek the motion picture. Star Trek Five is unfinished. Yeah. It is an unfinished film, and unfortunately, they. I mean, I don't know if that sequence it was fully realized would have helped the movie, but it might yeah. have felt more fulfilling. Maybe if it were if it were orchestrated correctly mm-hmm. and it actually it actually amounted to something. You know, it, it, it amounted to a, an emotional, you know, uh, release or uh, some kind of uh, of fulfillment for the audience. Well, if right. anyone wants to see the finished version of that scene, they can watch Galaxy Quest where they can see what that <laughs> scene looks like finished. Well, because, of course, Galaxy, it's, it's similar. And there be treat. <laughs> there is a there is a rock creature. The, there is the a rock creature. is you can throw as many great rock creatures as you like at Captain Kirk and crew. And, and that's not gonna change the essence of, of what the ending of that, that film is. I think there's actually something really good buried in the ending of that movie. Yeah, And I don't know that, that the problem was truly the special effects. Maybe in the sense of kind of giving it cinematic scope and all of that. Um, but the, you know, the, the big moment there was, what does God need with a starship? Right. It's right. And that well, and, that to me isn't the, about the monsters and the final rescue by Spock. Yes. You know, well, that's the, you're never alone. That. Yeah, me, yeah. our new gunner. I, yeah. I, I, think the, Kirk, I think the, the real our new gunner. The problem with the movie, though, is they didn't establish that entity at the end to be any kind of a credible right. threat that would instill belief in all of these followers. Right. That it just made Cybok look like an idiot. Yeah. And and if, <laughs> yeah. like, why are you trying to find Shakaria? Why? But if they had created an entity that had awe and had wonder in him or in it, and, and you felt some kind of cosmic wonder, 
you know, like the end of Close Encounters or something. And then he was revealed to be a flim flam right. man. You know, that would have been, isn't this sad? You know, and it-, it, well, it Almost it, as if we see Cybok's perception of it and it is completely wondrous. And then we, we look back and see some, the yeah. reactions well, from our crew and they say, that's a what's, little man what's going on. Right. But Darren yeah. had the best take on it. You know, years ago, right. I remember over drinks, you suggested it should have service. been, My idea it should have been uh, Gary, Gary, Gary Mitchell. Yeah. I always thought it was Trump, but you, 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 you said it was Gary Mitchell. And um, it would have been a nice was, wraparound for the whole series. It would have given it some haft, at least, because it yeah. was so ineffective. And if, if instead of George Murdoch, suddenly it's Gary Lockwood. You know, it would have been it been really, and you would understand why he wants revenge against Kirk. You know, and and, and it just it would have given it a lot more. You know, at that point, the movie was kind of unsalvageable. Yeah. yeah. So it, well, it would have course, been very interesting. The problem there is that it's not really about Kirk. Mm -mm. It's about Cybok who accidentally gets involved with the Enterprise right. just mm -hmm. because they're they're the closest. Right. Which brings so, us to a, a one of the significant deleted scenes that's cut. We've talked in the past about um, those great uh, flashbacks when he says, share your pain. Cybok has his own pain where he's excommunicated from Vulcan, mm. which is cut from the movie. Cybok has failed. I resolved this pain long ago. Spock. Spock! I must go! Now! Cybok, wait, I can't, they've banished me. Take me with you. No, you've chosen the Vulcan way. I want to go with you. It's not possible, I'm a heretic. I'm an enemy of the people. It would be dangerous for you. But where will you go? Where I can be free, where I can prove I'm right. I will find Shakari. Um, which is, um when Cybok is sent away and has to tell Spock that he's been sending away with Michelle Burnham. Right. Oh, no, wait, that's not in there. <laughs> Michael, Michael Burnham. Michael. Oh, yeah. There's no Michelle Burnham. <laughs> Maybe there is. We just don't know. Spock has, you know, eight is enough. Eight, eight relatives we knew well, nothing Cybok's about. Cybok's original name six, was Michelle. An egg roll. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, then, go ahead. No, no, no. It, it's just, uh, obviously, any any sort of structural explanation about Cybok is kind of uh, disingenuous because we we are supposed to sort of doubt who he is you know we're supposed to have some question as to whether or not he's for real or not and, and we don't need to know like, yeah. we don't need to see it the the point of those scenes with the with the holy trinity was kind of getting at something with them that the point right. of those scenes was like, you know, I don't need you to tell me I should have turned left when I turned right. I mean, it's, that's, that's what that's about. It's about them. And, and having a scene where we're watching Cybok kind of go through something that ultimately we might care maybe narratively in the sense of what's happening in the movie, but we don't care about it in the same way that we care about right. McCork. Kirk. Or McCoy. Well, because we never see yeah. we never see Kirk's. That's right. Yeah. Which is brilliant. That's yes. why it works. <laughs> yes. But that That's scene, the scene with McCoy is amazing. Yes. And it's one of the best directed Star Trek scenes ever, in my opinion. Yeah. Which is, uh, by the way, I think here's what I find fascinating about all that stuff. The the, the um and I think you're right, by the way, and I, I love that scene. 
then you compare it, I think, to some of the other deleted scenes in that movie. Like the scene with all of the ambassadors hanging out and having beer and basically talking shit with each other. I think that that deleted scene goes on for like 30 minutes and it has like, it's, it's essentially like one long wind up punchline of screw you. There's hunger, poverty, no law enforcement. And here the two of you sit drinking. Let me talk. Let me listen on. What did he say? He says he hopes you enjoy yourself while you're here. Uh, may I ask you, Miss Dar, what terrible mistake you made to get yourself banished to this place? The armpit of the universe? I volunteered. Volunteered? Shaptoiqui. <laughs> Nimbus 3 is a great experiment. The policies that the three of us agree on here will have far-reaching results. My dear child, we're not here to agree. We're here to disagree. But I'm here to open discussions, to find solutions to these problems. You're back, what did he say? I want his exact words. He said the only thing he wants you to open is your blouse. He's heard that Romulan women are different. Will you tell council court that I... Never mind. I'll tell him myself. And the only Klingon I know... Good luck. Screw you too. He does speak English. <laughs> well, but the Which problem I think fine, with that but... scene also is it reflects Bill's director to go for the joke. Yes. You know, and, and not to go for the heart of, you know, like there's something really interesting about all the alien civilizations uniting to overcome their differences, but he turns it into a big joke, yeah, yeah. you know, and, you know, basically Paradise City and, and Nimbus uh, 3, Nimbus 3, Nimbus 5, Nimbus 4, Nimbus, whatever. Nimbus 3. It, it's a big joke. And and the, the, that, that clip that was cut of them, and I think partially because the Romulan Ambassador's performance was oh, not particularly so good. not good. Um, was, um, you know, it's just, it's, it, it doesn't deal with the fundamentals of Star Trek in like, hey, we're trying to find common ground here. It, it's like, these are all people that have been put out of, to pasture, like David Warner's uh, Federation ambassador and the Klingon. And it's all, you know, it's all played for laughs. And that's unfortunate because I think, you know, it kind of plays into the fact that um, Bill never really understood why people love Star Trek and what's the heart of great Star Trek because, you know, it's a big goof. And, he, you know, this stuff is all played as a big goof rather than, um, you know, as anything that has something to say of substance. Yeah. Plus, everybody learned the wrong lesson from Star Trek IV. Right. Right. Yes, and, that too. And, Which is too bad because the opening of Star Trek V is one of my favorite openings in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. When Cybok mm -hmm. rides in from the desert it's and great. finds... Yeah, it's a great... It's all I have. You know, I mean, it's, it's such an intriguing opening to a movie. You're a Vulcan, you know, and he laughs.
Well, they say mm-hmm. if you're going to steal, steal from the good ones. Yeah. And so they stole it from Lawrence of Arabia. Like, yep. great. Okay. You're not going to go wrong ripping off Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, so not, not a lot. Of, not, not, you know, not, not, nothing there that really elevates the movie. We're all, look, we're all fans of Star Trek V largely because of the character stuff. And as you say, there's some 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 very well directed scenes. The teaser, the um, certainly the 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 scene with the secret pain. Um, a lot of great Star Trek moments there. And you know, too many people dismiss it out of hand because of the the pitiful uh, Brand Farron visual effects. Uh, okay, so that brings us to Trek Six, which also got. I don't think they called it a director's edition. I think they called it an expanded cut, or did right. they call it a director's edition? I, I think they might have called it the director's edition. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And um, in that yeah. case, I think Nick Meyer was more happy that the, because they filled in the blanks about the conspiracy, because yeah. that's where you feel you find out that Rene Aubergin was Colonel West, yeah. uh, Colonel which West. was a take on Colonel North at the time, right. Rank right. Contra, um, was behind the conspiracy. And he was actually the Klingon assassin, a right. la Mission Impossible. They take off the rubber mask. This is not Klingon blood. It's Colonel West, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I, I don't think that necessarily hurts because there's also, I think, that additional scene where they're talking to the Romulan ambassador that was in the trailer. That scene right. was in the trailer. Yeah. Um, where it would never be a better time with him. Never with be a big, better time with the big paper uh, pad, which I plan. loved. Oh. I love man in the trailer. I love oh. that. Moment. I said that. I mean, forget the paper of it all. Like, I just, I loved this. I love the idea of this scene. Yeah, we can clean their chronometers. Yeah. Oh, you know what it's I do so miss? It's so ham-handed. It's well, it really ham-handed. It, it wasn't filmed, but the script, because so, I had read the script before I saw mm. the movie, and there was a gathering of the team. Like, Uhura was a talk show host. Yeah. You know, and it was, it was, uh, it, all they all, they all were doing different stuff, and they all got brought back together to well, go on this it was mission. A, it was a play on, I think, from Treasure Island. The, uh, they were delivered a uh, the black bead. That, right. that said that they were supposed to come back and gather uh, a little again. Yeah, and well, like, you to got, me, it was God, Rob. Oh, I was just say when they come in the when when they come into the briefing room in the beginning of the way it is now, you know, I, I always imagine that scene, those scenes happening. Right. You, even though they don't. <laughs> I mean, well, I love it. They cut it because it would cost a million five, which yeah. they didn't have. But, you know, it's a Magnificent Seven. It's putting the band back together. It's getting, yeah. you know, putting the team together. And so there was this alien that was going to go around and he was going to, you know, everybody but Spock, you know, he was, and, and Scotty was teaching and he had fished out the bird of prey from uh, the harbor from Star Trek Four, right. and was explaining the bird of prey to class. O'Hara was a radio uh, host. I yeah. forget what Sulu was doing at it uh, in that. Yeah, I don't remember. And then Kirk hadn't Kirk just had a fight with um, uh, with uh, Carol Marcus or yes. something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And 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 I, I, I and he know, was out walking on the streets of San Francisco. I, I I don't remember, but I remember really loving that and feeling you know sad that that went away. Also, it would have opened up the movie a bit. Um, right. See, I, I had exactly the opposite reaction when I first read it. I said, oh, my God, what are they doing? But you hate Star Trek Six. I hate and Rob Star and I Trek like Six. Star Trek Six. I, and you I always Star will. Trek Six. I'm, I'm with you guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I just wish, again, I think one of the one of the problems after Star Trek Two is there's a there's a juvenile aspect to the to the I have to say it, the overall direction and approach to the films yeah. is not 
very adult. Yeah. And I think it's because you have first time, first time director Nimoy, a first time director in Shatner. And then they took away, you know, Nicholas Meyer by Star Trek six. He's falling. It's very tropey. You know, it's just this standard when it what it needed was it needed more hunt for at October. You yeah. know, unless and it needed more areas. As much as I, approach. I dig that movie, I think it was hurt by the fact that it was it was using next generation sets very clearly, that, obviously that hurt it redressed. Too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But but also, you know, the scenes with uh, with Crewman Dax and his goofy feet. Yeah. I mean, that's just stupid. Yeah, and it's all that stupid. stuff about looking these. Assa- I like the whole idea of the assassins, but it should have been these should assassins been- should been they, badass they shouldn't they have been yeah they should have been badass no, and they shouldn't have been crew members no yeah and they, there's nobody that's that high where their gravity boots they would get rid of them they yeah you know, they would transferialize them, them yes i mean it, it, and all that stuff it could have been i mean the that it had the makings of a truly epic mm-hmm. no one had ever done a political a real life political right. thriller like this you know it could have been and I mean, there are terrific scenes in that movie. Like I, yeah, I love the the scene towards the end with Kirk and and Spock. With like, it's like everybody's yeah. human. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's like that's like a great moment between them. I think that Shatner's great in that movie. Um, there's, uh, and I do I, love I, Christopher Plummer. Don't wait for the translation. Answer me now. Ah, the, the, the zero. The zero G assassination sequence, I think, is is a great it's set. It's very piece. cool. Yep. I I, I think that the, the trial at Rurapente is is really good. I really like uh, Morgan Shepard. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh there um, and, he's and then his knee and, and then the montage at the end when the enterprise is fighting fighting the cloaked ship mm-hmm. uh you know is, 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 is well you know and then the excelsior comes to their rescue is it, also a really great thing when they're you know they're creating a lot of suspense you know intercutting between the kittimer conference and the yep. enterprise yeah. and the excelsior so yeah i totally are there problems with it a lot of that is budget a lot of that is time. It's the Godfather Three syndrome, the Star Trek One syndrome, where they're locked into this release date. They keep cutting the budget, you know. And also, there's a little bit of ego there because there's Nick Meyer saying they came and begged me to come back, right? You know, after you know Star Trek Two, they said no to everything I wanted, yeah. and now I'm and in he, the driver's seat. He so wasn't taking my, notes. He wasn't so taking. I, notes. I, I'm going to get my title. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get my Shakespeare. You know, all this stuff that you made me, you know, rein in on the first one. Well, I'm going to do it now. And, uh, you know, and, and some of it's for the better and some of it's for the worse. I will say I love the score. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cliff Eidelman's score. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, also a product of the cut budget. You know, they would have he would have yeah. hired James Horner, but he couldn't afford him. Yeah. So. I mean, it. but there is a lot. There's a lot of stuff to like. And. You know, there are some beautiful uh, ILM effects in that mm-hmm. film, even though they're sparing. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some beautiful work in that movie. There's just not Absolutely. enough of them. Because yeah. there's Star Trek Four was like the C team from ILM. It's not great. The C, the C team, S-E-A? Star Trek Four? <laughs> no, yeah. No, the, as in ABC, maybe the uh, D team. Yeah, the, yeah, okay. The effects and the, the matte paintings, everything about Star Trek Four, unfortunately, was let down by the score and ILM, I think. I think the score, I don't mind the effects. I think that some of the whale work is phenomenal. Yeah. And the no, stuff that's good. Bird of Prey. It's the score you know, that kills it. I hate it's it. that awful Leonard Rosenman, Leonard Rosenman score. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that brings us to Generations. Generations is a bunch of, uh, uh, of cut scenes and lost footage. And the um, ending. You know, and the ending, which the was ending. reshot. So uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of things to unpack. Um, you know, I, 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 to this day, 
don't feel they ever had any intention of using the orbit diving sequence. I feel that was like uh, something they offered Shatner as part of getting him to do the movie, right. you know, letting him look cool, you know, look diving from space. And the movie opens with this big scene of you. I don't think they ever intended that scene to be yeah. in the movie. There he is, there to the south. What the? Are you blind? That's a bird. Should be him. I think he just crossed the sound barrier. There he is. Peninsula, and I landed right here, right on the dime. Actually, Captain, your precise target was 35 meters that way. Thanks for pointing that out. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a tri-elliptical jump. That's where you jump out over northern China, do three complete orbits, and then start your re-entry. Captain, perhaps you have forgotten, but tomorrow, here to smile for the holographic recorders. The christening ceremony. Oh, I'm not going. Help me off with this shit. What do you mean you're not going? We promised. When I retired from Starfleet, I swore I'd never set foot in another starship again. And I meant it. Captain. I don't want to hear any more about it. I'm not going. That's fine. I couldn't. That intercut right. doesn't work at all. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if they had if they had really done that scene right, he would you would have seen him in space. Yeah. You know, and actually making the dive, which could have been really, really cool. Like you don't yeah. know what you're watching. Mm -hmm. You could have seen some kind of a ship, an airlock, and this mysterious figure comes and like the beginning of heavy metal. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Like dives out into the just into Earth orbit and plunges through the atmosphere, and you have no idea who it is and what it is. And then that it could have been one of the great star trek moments you know if you and, and you see this guy and he par he's parachuting and he lands and there's spot there's scotty and Chekhov. that would have been badass well but sadly but by this time we all knew how much they all hated each other so right. it, it affects the characters in a sense it's like there's no way captain kirk would be spending his recreational time with scotty and Chekhov. it just <laughs> went like, out yeah, what are what's i mean what's i don't Spock believe we're doing right now like they're like nah you know, just because they couldn't get Leonard and D, yeah. you know, doesn't mean you're not thinking, where the hell is Spock and McCoy? Right. Why is he with Chekhov and Scotty? It's ridiculous. You know, um, and and then, of course, you know, we all know, I mean, Leonard turned down directing the movie because he thought the script wasn't good. The only thing he thought was interesting was Data and the emotion ship, ironically. And, you know, Nimoy was not wrong. And uh, and then um you know, and then D basically decided that he wasn't going to do it because he he felt Star Trek Six was a sufficient swan song because yeah. it was literally nothing for him to do in the movie. To his credit, he 
you know, he wasn't going to just take the paycheck. Yeah. Now, Jimmy and Walter. <laughs> yeah. We're happy to take the money. <laughs> and, you know, and to their credit, probably the best, one of the best scenes in the movie is that opening scene on yeah. the Enterprise B. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a cut scene with Chekhov after Kirk dies, which was mercifully cut. Yeah. Very superfluous. It, it doesn't add anything and it's not good. Other than that, it's great. Now, there is a scene they cut for budget, sadly, which was never filmed, which is the Romulan attack on Amargosa Station, which was a mistake to cut because, A, it helps explain what's going on, but, B, there's so little action, you know. There's that ridiculous scene of them on the pirate ship. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't that, like... uh I had always heard, and you guys tell me that that scene, the Romulan attack was cut and it was replaced with the, Hey, we're doing the pirate scene because Jerry Taylor thought that like it, it needed. That's true. Less of that. Yeah. Action did, shit that people like to see in movies. And more character. So yeah. they came up with the idea of the pirate ship, which is ridiculous. But here you're watching a Star Trek movie and you want to see the future and you want to see, and they're on a pirate well, it's the ship. HMS. It's the Hermag. It's a, it's, yeah. not, it's a, it's the, you it's know, a, it's, it's a, a sailing real... ship, not a pirate. Sailing they're ship, on a sailing ship. But it, it, and you know, it's supposed to be a very funny scene with, you know, uh, um, Brent uh, with data pushing the heart, uh, gates into the water. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't, I don't think it works. It hasn't aged well it, it either. It stops the movie. Like there's, it, it at least builds up some momentum at the beginning with Kirk and kind of disappearing into the freaking Nexus ribbon. And then suddenly like you're starting the movie all over yeah. again with yeah. a whole new act one. And yeah. it's stultifying. If you had come out of that into an action scene, all guns blazing and kind of kept the momentum. And P.S., I think, you know, Star Trek at its best, like in our, in Star Trek's best action scenes have, have proven that action isn't, doesn't have to just be for action's sake. My, my biggest problem with that, with that scene is that one of the first things that Picard says is, number one, imagine what it was like. You're in it. You don't have to imagine what it was like. You're experiencing it. It's ludicrous. And, and it's all also to me it's this ritualistic thing they've done a hundred times before everybody everybody gets a promotion they do this thing and they act like it's the first time it's yeah. ever happened like yeah. you're like well wait a minute none this of is them a look, program none of them you guys look appropriate have, on the on the ship at all not only does it a program you guys all have your right clothing yeah. you know you have this <laughs> yeah, is your, yeah, yeah. your cosplaying you do this all the time yeah they're larping yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, it, it's now, it, if they'd stayed in those uniforms for the entire movie, that would have been awesome. Like, they just never new, had a chance to change uniforms. out of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would have been fun. And you know, unfortunately, so much of this is you know, now Patrick gets to you know, tell them what he wants. And so, you have like this awful scene that was mercifully cut, you know, Picard with his kids celebrating <laughs> Christmas. You know, it's like a, a, a deleted scene from Downtown Abbey. What's going on? Where am I? I'll say something. They're waiting. I... What should I say? Say Merry Christmas, Papa. Merry 
Christmas. This one's for you. This is Papa's present. Give this to Papa. Oh. Isn't the tree beautiful, Papa? Oh, yes, it is. It's astonishingly beautiful. All of it. This is from all of us, Papa. Really? Thank you. Thank you. I have no idea what can be in it. You'll never guess. Oh, my word. It's a sack tent. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> It is. It's it's a sextant, and it's a it's a very handsome one too. This must be about eighteen twenty. Wherever did you find it? It's a secret. Really? Well, then, in that case, if it's a secret, it, it makes it a doubly special gift. Thank you. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Papa. Merry Christmas. I love you. <laughs> as real as you want it to be. Guinan, what's going on? Where am I? You're in the Nexus. This is the Nexus? For you, this is what you want. But I never had a home like this. Not a wife and children. I thought you were on board the Enterprise. I am. I'm also here. Think of me as an echo of the person you know. A part of herself she left behind. Enterprise B beamed you up from the cool. Papa, help me about my castle. Yes, I will in a few minutes. Papa, thank you for the darling. She's very beautiful. These are my children. These are my children. Of course. Time has no meaning here. So you can go back and see them born or go forward and see your birth. It is ready, everyone. Yay! Mama, can I? Can I? 
it's ready for Bob. Come on, Thomas. It's your Because if he were actually with his kids celebrating Christmas, he'd be yelling at them. He'd be like, put down the toys. It's not your turn to open it. It's just that kind of stuff. And it's not in that scene. It's all like, oh, let's (laughs) hug each other. It's Christmas. No, that's not how it works. God bless us, everyone. I think it's it's, the movie's problematic because you don't see either Picard or Kirk having anything to do with their characters while they're in the Nexus. Right. It's like, what is this? Right. What it's this like to... should have found Kirk on the bridge of the goddamn Enterprise. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or Kirk should have piloted. I mean, if the if the ship was going to crash, it would should have been Kirk who ended up saving everybody by crashing the and saucer dying, section and dying in the crash. That's yeah. Right. Maybe dying in the crash. Yeah, exactly. Or Kirk should have been with Ease Keeler. You know, well, I right. mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. They find that's him, the... you know, they find him in 1930. That would have been actually pretty cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're both running the mission together. And they they could have just shot it on the back lot. Yeah, and you could have brought Joan Collins back. Yeah. Instead of, you know, making eggs with his his dog and and Antonia. Some woman we never heard of. The problem is this is is William Shatner's fantasy. This isn't Kirk's fantasy. (laughs) Which is also the problem with the Star Trek franchise since Leonard Nimoy took over as director in Star Trek Mm -hmm. 3. It was all of these these actors and, and people bringing in their real lives into these movies. And, you know, as we all, anybody who works in the industry understands that it's a very different thing when you're an actor on a show. You don't really understand why, why this fervent fan base has grown up around this thing. It's, it's, it's alien to you. So when you're in a position to actually create for it, you're not creating what your very audience, with the reasons, not, you're not connecting with your audience. And it's, it's a very weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, um, you know, something we've talked about, you know, in the past. I mean, something we hate about Star Trek Six. You know, you need to service the supporting cast, so you have a ridiculous scene like, you know, Nichelle and and Chekhov uh, running around looking for books on how to translate Klingon, and it diminishes Ohara's character by yeah, making yeah. them look so dumb. You know, when clearly she has a facility with multiple languages, she's yeah. she's brilliant and she's capable, and it it, it just destroys that character by and turning it, it into a joke. To- if she spoke Klingon, like she yeah. was a badass Klingon speaker and she actually stood up and is like yelling like into her, you know, because she's playing like she's a Klingon in, or something. In fact, you have a couple of the of the crewmates trying to figure out how to respond in Klingon. And she just sort of and then starts she speaking shows Klingon. Up. She yeah. shows up and says, excuse me, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. And, and she, she just says, screw so you in Klingon to the so much yeah. better. So much better. OK, so um, and then, you know, look, famously, uh, you know, I've talked about this before on the show. I miss, not because it would have been so great story, but I think it would have been a great action scene, is the battle with the Klingons on the destroyed Enterprise. Once mm-hmm. the Enterprise crashes, there was supposed to be a big action piece where they fight off the Klingons um, inside the wrecked ship and on the sa- the crashed saucer. It's a great idea. Which would have been fantastic. And it would have been a great place because you'd intercut from all this nonsense, this really soft stuff in the Nexus, 
to like this big action scene going on on Viridian three. And it would give us something to, you know, to <laughs> Can go you imagine? To. It's like, you're fighting for your lives, like in this, in this, the, the burned out husk of the saucer section of the Enterprise D. People are screaming and dying and they're on fire. Meanwhile, it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. right. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. Totally. It, it's so funny, too, because like I always love that scene in the motion picture. It's such a small scene where they walk across the primary hall, yeah. you know, and the space bridge to V'ger. Small sequence. It was uh, Darren, to his credit, improved it immeasurably in the director's edition. Right. So to take that and turn it into this big action scene on the wreck, it would have justified crashing the Enterprise. And plus to have them running through the hallways, like, you know, dutched and like crashed with like yeah. fucking jungle coming in. And, you know, it would have been so cool. And again, that was a victim of budget. And it would have been a great action scene because you wanted to see stuff in the movies that you couldn't see in the TV right. show. Right. But right. they just showed us stuff we saw in the TV show, but not as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's the ending. Yeah. yeah. The, 20, the, 23rd, the 24th century isn't so tough. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the original version of uh, Kirk's death is terrible. It's really bad. It has, it has Kirk being shot in the back by Soren, and it just has no weight to it. It's just a throwaway. It's almost like Tasha Yar's death, and that it just sort of happens, and then we move on. And it was terrible. After all these years, this is 30 years you killed Kirk this yeah, way. Yeah. Getting shot in the back for no reason. Yeah. Saving no one, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, and just uh, shot in the back. Shot by, in the by back a, over a matter of $80. By Alex DeLarge. <laughs> you know, so it's just, uh, it, it, and you know, to their credit, <laughs> they reshot it. It's a little of the ultraviolence for yeah. Captain. <laughs> but, only well. beca- but only because uh, test audiences rejected it wholeheartedly. Right. And they had to rush and reshoot it. Not that the the final ending is any better. Twenty fourth century isn't so tough. We don't have to worry about the doctor anymore. Has there been a problem with the Klingons? You could say that. Captain Kirk. <laughs> no, I think the whole end of uh, generations is just overall. It's well, it just doesn't make conceived. sense. It doesn't whole, make sense. It's not. It's not compelling, and it's the whole Nexus ribbon makes no freaking sense. No. You know, exploding stars to change its course is stupid. <laughs> it's just it, it's ludicrous. Why doesn't well, you never buy a ship in there? You never meet and see there. the people they're saving. So yeah. there are no stakes. They yeah. talk about the civilization of millions of people, but we've never met them. 
you know, th there's nobody in jeopardy we care about. Well, that's the other problem with not doing the saucer section piece, because at the very least, then, if you knew that the Nexus ribbon was heading your way and the crew was there and we're seeing them and they're in jeopardy and we're we're in that scene in a very visceral way, I think that it would have given the third act the, the resolution of things with Kirk and Picard and, and Soren a little more stakes, but... I also wonder if that's a product of Patrick suddenly wanting to be the man of action. Like, because that would have been a bit of action scene for other people, mm. you know, because in first contact, he famously said, why am I the guy who is um, down on the planet talking to Zephyrin Cochran, having tea with him when, you know, Riker's up on the ship and they famously switched it. So Kirk Picard could be the man of action on the ship and, you know, Riker's down on, uh, down on earth. Uh, and I wonder, you know, if this is partially like, Oh, we can't give, this big action scene that Picard's not in because he wants to be the, the star, you know, and they had to service, you know, multiple egos on that, you know, on that movie, the directors and, and bills and, and Patrick's and, you know, that's a lot to juggle. Also, there's things in that movie, like the things I can't stand, like Soren has this Estes model rocket that he's going to fire at the sun yeah. and, and it, uh, anything, even at warp speed, it would take a little bit to get speed of light. It takes eight minutes. No, the sun's right up get... there. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. Right there. I mean, it's it, and then the sun explodes in this amount of. It's just so ridiculous. I, I, I even when I, I tuned out. I'm like, come on. Yeah. That's not how fast. You can't. <laughs> this little Estes model rocket doesn't hit the sun, and the sun explodes because it. I mean, no matter how much trilithium there is, that's not how physics works. And it's just ridiculous. It's yeah, just... but what if it burned out all of the warp cores in the get? Oh, no. Yeah. I wish, you know, I wish we could see like these movies like have Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park come on. That's not how science works. Ah, kids. <laughs> Let's talk about trilithium crystals. <laughs> so, okay. So this generation, first contact, not a lot that was deleted from that. You know, it's a tight little movie. It works. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't a lot. A couple little things with um, on on the ship. There was some stuff in the holodeck that was uh, that was cut uh, with um, Alfred Woodard and, and Patrick, but not nothing of substance. Um, it really isn't until Insurrection where the substantial amount of, of stuff that is is is, is cut. The, the love story between Donna Murphy and Picard was trimmed back. There's a ton of stuff with the uh, the villains and F. Murray Abraham, and then again involved major reshoots at the end. I never should have let you talk me into that duck blind in the first place. Your Federation procedures have made this mission ten times as difficult as it needed to be. Our procedures were in place to protect the planet's population from unnecessary risk. The planet's population? Six hundred people. Hmm. You want to avoid unnecessary risks? Next time, leave your android home. Where they, where they just didn't comp in any of the greens, the, the blue screen. They just yeah. left it there. So yeah. weird. We're, uh, we're supposed to be in space in this clear whatever, but nope, nope. I the, will the say. Party, the party line on that was that it was always intended to be blue. I don't believe it. It BS. looks like it, they just no, decided that's not to not, it. Of it. That's like a blue crime. screen. It's lit it like is. a blue screen. I mean, it's come on. Exactly not like since Star Trek V had special effects, so, so fail to fail. But what is good in the deleted scenes, I think the scene with Riker and Troy is just, it's delightful. I think it probably would have stopped the movie dead, 
but mm. they're so wonderful together. They have such amazing chemistry together. It's just, it's cute. It's sweet. Like they're just who you want them to be. Um, I don't need the rest of the movie for it, but I really love that scene. Somna discovered an M-class planet with humanoid life about six months ago. Turned out it was in Federation space, so they came to us to get approval for sociological study. The Federation Council suggested a joint mission. Why was Data assigned? Environmental concerns again. An android could be safely exposed to the elements during the installation of a duck blind. I don't see anything to suggest the Sona have any interest in sociology. What are they interested in? Wine, women, and song. Well, you should feel right at home then. Nomadic. Collectors of precious metals. Jewels. I should feel right at home then. You're in luck. They use alien women as indentured servants. Half century ago, they conquered two primitive races, the Tarlac and the Alora, and then integrated them into their culture as a labor class. Look at this. The Sona are known to have produced mass quantities of the narcotic Ketracel White. Their ships are rumored to be equipped with isolytic subspace weapons outlawed by the second Kittimer Accord. Why would we be involved with these people? Good question. We haven't done that in a long time. What? What you're doing to my neck. Was I doing something to your neck? It says here some form of genetic anomaly has prevented the Sona from procreating. No children. If that's true, they're a dying race. Hey! He started it! I didn't do anything, I swear. Mm. But I bet well, they would be great making pizza. Yeah, they would be making great making pizza. Well, at the time that Insurrection came out, I always kind of liked the movie because it felt like an episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's Michael Piller, who is very good with character, but maybe less great with the big plotty plot. Um, and so you have these nice character moments, which, mm -hmm. you know, felt like a nice change of pace. But, you know, in retrospect, you watch it. This is very slow. And, and, and well, but there are these moments of, 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 you know, like, like that scene that was cut, you know, which, which feels very, um, uh, you know, re reflects well on the show. It feels like it could have been the show. And that's a blessing and the curse for that movie but is that you say, it feels like it could have been an episode of the show. Also, the problem is the premise. Yeah, problem is the premise yeah. because the premise is ludicrous. Uh, there are various ways you could rescue these, you know, group of ninety people, you know, that doesn't have to have any space anything. Yeah. yeah, it's well, just the, silly. The idea that they're going to ruin the the one thing they want is the entire biosphere of this planet with this radiation and you've got a group of people that basically live in a summer camp. You've got a whole planet. Yeah. You could live, you could have entire metropolises on the other side of the planet and yeah. never ever come in contact with the Baku. And yet they want to, why don't, why don't they just set up health spas on the whole planet so people can come be rejuvenated. It just, it's so silly that they're, 
as if that energy is going to work if you steal it and take it away from where it naturally occurred. It's just such a dumb idea. There's probably a bigger show to do on this movie, uh, whether we talk to Jonathan about it or Michael Piller wrote a great book. About, oh, it's incredible. I don't know if you guys have read it. It's I, incredible. In fact, pocketbook Simon Schuster refused to publish it because it was so honest and candid mm. about everything that went wrong with this film. Um and um, I think his wife, uh, his his widow, Sandra Piller, eventually uh, self-published it. Yeah. Um, but it's a terrific book. And I, I think that this requires kind of a deeper dive from us to talk about Insurrection, because mm-hmm. uh, that that movie went through so many iterations and um, there was something interesting. It's a great example of how a good idea can get perverted through you know, it into a, a terrible level. weapon. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we, we punt on this one a little bit uh, until we can sort of, uh, because we have really, we haven't done much on the movies, you know, uh, recently. And I mean, we had Brandon on to talk about first contact. We've talked about generations with Brandon. We talked about, you know, Star Trek two with Bob Salen. We've done a lot on Star Trek, the motion picture, but it might be interesting to talk about insert. And obviously Star Trek five, we did a wonderful show um, with um, uh, um, David Lowry with David Lowry, which was terrific. So yeah. it might be interesting to come back and revisit um, uh, Insurrection in the future um, and watch our ratings plummet. Um, <laughs> well, if it is life from lifelessness. <laughs> which now brings us to the last of the um, Next Generation movies, um, Nemesis. Oh uh, and this probably had more, um, this had a good hour of, of footage cut. It, it's interesting because of course, famously Stuart Baird directed it, who hated Star Trek, who basically was doing it as a favor to Paramount and Paramount was doing a favor to Stuart Baird to hire him. Um, And so there's a ton of sort of inside baseball, all of which got thrown out, Uh, you know, the wedding, the famous, you know, a lot of callbacks of characters have been the show before Um, the ending where we find out sort of the fate of Riker and, you know, going on to the Titan as a new first officer on board. Captain Riker. Mm. Hello, I'm Martin Madden. I'm the new first officer. Commander. Sir, I I haven't met the captain yet. I was hoping that you could give me a little insight. Well, the most important thing about Captain Picard is he's not a by-the-book type officer. He likes to keep things casual. In fact, if you want to get on his good side, call him Jean-Luc. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Commander Martin Madden, reporting for duty, sir. Welcome aboard, Commander. I hope your transfer didn't take you too much by surprise. I feel privileged, sir. I needed you immediately in order to oversee the refits. As you can see, we have a lot to discuss. Why don't we say dinner in my quarters, 1900 hours? Very good, Jean-Luc. Captain Riker was pulling my leg, wasn't he? Sir. Sir, what's this? It's the Mark VII, Captain. State-of-the-art ergonomics, command interface... I told him that you were comfortable with your old chair. Well, let's uh, give it a try. 
Feels good. Try that button, sir. <laughs> About time. Well, Commander, you'll be pleased to hear that we have our first assignment. We're going to be exploring the Denap system. It uh, should be interesting. It's a place where, where no one has gone before. thoughts about sort of the lost nemesis i think look some of the stuff you didn't need right like i could care less about wesley crusher showing up and like saying hello to a girl sort of like losing a son and gaining an empath isn't it you're being a big help listen if you start tearing up i promise i'll beam you out immediately Mom. Captain. Wesley, it's good to see you in uniform again. Thank you, sir. Suits him, doesn't it? You're looking forward to serving on the Titan? I am very much. I have the night duty shift in engineering, and we have a double refracting warp core matrix with twin intermix chambers. Would you excuse me for a moment? I'll see you later. Did you ever think about getting married again? No. 23 was my limit. There are other things, right? Like there's the um, there's the scene uh, with Picard and uh, and Data, you know, and it, after the wedding, right? Which I think is quite good. It's very much the the Star Trek II birthday scene. For a special occasion, Chateau Picard, 2267. You know, they say a vintner's history is in every glass. The soil he came from, his past, his hopes for the future. Hmm. So, to the future. To the future. Sir, I noticed an interesting confluence of emotion at the wedding. I could not help wondering... Sit down, Data. Thank you, sir. I could not help wondering about the human capacity for expressing both pleasure and sadness simultaneously. Certain human rituals, weddings, birthdays, funerals, 
evoke very strong and very complex emotions because they mark important transitions in our lives. They denote the passage of time. Not just the passage of time, but the presence of time within us. They make us think of our mortality. These occasions encourage us to think about what's behind us and what lies ahead. And you were particularly aware of this feeling of transition because Commander Riker is leaving to assume command of the Titan. Well, Indiana joining the Titan, Beverly going to Starfleet Medical. And this makes you sad. Well, yes, I suppose it does. A bit. I mean, I'm very happy for them, of course, but I will miss them. The Enterprise will seem not the same without them. That is because you are used to their presence. Their proximity brings you comfort. Yes, and frankly, I almost envy them. They made important decisions. There are great challenges lying ahead of them. New, new worlds. Seeing Will and Deanna today made me think about some of the decisions I've made. Devoting my life to Starfleet. Not marrying, having children. All the choices that led me here. The choices I have made have led me here as well, sir. This is the only home I have ever known. I cannot foresee a reason for leaving. Oh, Data, you never know what's over the horizon. Before long, you'll be offered a command of your own. If I were, I believe my memory engrams would sense the absence of your proximity, sir. I would miss you. And are you, Data? Now, you make a toast. To... To new worlds, sir. To new worlds. But I think it works. I think that that there is a that movie is not good, man. And you all, you guys know how many times I forced myself to watch it. And as Darren said about Insurrection, there's a problem with the premise. There's a huge problem with the premise. But I do think the better version of that movie was kind of left on the cutting room floor. I'm not saying all those deleted scenes needed to go back in, but I do think that they cut the character meat and the thematic stuff and the emotional stuff that made all of the things that are frankly silly with the with the concept at least resonant on a character level. They left that on the floor. Yeah. In favor of a lot of talk about fucking techno babble that you just don't need and and action scenes that didn't frankly work largely and it was um, directed by an editor yeah you know, which is insane how great, did that happen one how of the great st- editors of all time of yeah. All yeah. time. how did he look at that and go yeah let's cut this stuff that makes it good he and was just- he was owed a favor for saving i think it was tomb raider 2 mm-hmm. he came in and, and saved it for the studio and they they owed him something and that was like again star trek loses out because no one ever thought of it as a real film franchise right. it was this it was our bargain basement film franchise that is always a good earner. It for wasn't us. a real boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's. It, they've always treated Star Trek like that ever since Star Trek Two, up until the JJ films. 
And um, and that didn't work out well either. Like, I'd love to take all that stuff and go back and just and sit and see. You know, this would be the ultimate Trexperts project. <laughs> just for no goddamn reason whatsoever. Probably the least worthy film of, of like of the entire Star Trek to, canon. To go re- back re- and recut it. cut it. Yeah. And just make it better. I, I, just, I, I, you're much more charitable because I'm not sure how you make that film better. I, I, you I know, don't know you can make it worse. That movie I've probably seen the least of any of the uh, yep. of Trek movies other than Star Trek Beyond. Because I think I've only seen Star Trek Beyond once. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen Nemesis twice. And um, boy, well, it's it's bad. It's not only that, the, the idea, it doesn't even understand cloning. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I really can't stand is when they'll bring in some high concept Con, uh, like sci-fi notion of cloning and they don't even understand like there's no they don't have a connection you don't have some kind of connection with your clone and don't they and know then, that the clone should sound like d bradley baker but not only that they already did a, a, a picard clone in the tv series yeah. yeah that's what's so crazy like why would you do the same story and then why would you do this <laughs> i mean and they um, could have the movie i love i do even though the 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 actors they cast in the romulan council chamber are not are not good fleet commanders are nervous they've agreed to remain at their given coordinates and await his orders they're anxious to know what's going on i don't blame them we can't keep them in the dark forever but in darkness there is strength Don't you agree? Consider it the great symbol of the Empire. But the bird of prey holds two planets, Romulus and Remus. Their destinies conjoined. Yet for generations, one of those planets has been without a voice. We will be silent no longer. Join us, commanders. Now, what's the disposition of the fleet? They're holding position. And? They will obey. Traitor. It is imperative that we retain their allegiance or our great mission will be strangled before it can truly draw breath. They support your intentions, sir. But they require evidence of your, well, shall we say, sincerity. And they'll have it. Tell the fleet that the days of negotiation and diplomacy are over. The mighty Federation will fall before us, as I promised you. The time we have dreamed of is at hand. The time of conquest. Cut off the dragon's head and it cannot strike back. And how many warbirds will you need to slay the dragon? You don't approve of my oratory. Pretty words are of little use in battle. And in any event, I will need no warbirds. Beato, you have the whole fleet at your disposal. They supported the coup. They'll follow you. The scimitar will serve my needs. But surely you... I came this far alone. We came this far alone. We require no assistance from the fleet. 
Now leave me. But I do love that set, and I like the political Mac. Again, it should have been a Tom Clancy-esque, really smart, John Gray thriller. thriller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should have been. And they don't know how to do that. It's like, it's, again, this bar bargain basement idea. It's funny, when they finally move to the J.J. Abrams movies, they get bargain basement scripts with these Tiffany budgets. And it's just, what a bummer. I, but yeah. I do think you could take a very, like, charitably D-minus movie and raise it to at least a C with yeah. with scenes that you like, where you could go, oh yeah, I liked that. And I liked that as opposed to I liked, eh, I, I, it happened. Well, you just know, like, it's so good. Well, flying shuttles inside the scimitar and oh, all that crap. God. Why are you calling this ship the scimitar anyway? You don't have scimitars. it's big and blocky like a scimitar. I, I mean, it's just like, come on, I hate that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I was doing a rewatch recently after reading the book Fire Can't Kill a Dragon um, about the making of Game of Thrones. And uh, I was rewatching Game of Thrones. And one of the things about the, the first season, particularly Game of Thrones, they didn't have a particularly big budget. And in fact, they were coming in short. So they had to go in and refilm all these scenes where it was just two people in a room talking. And yet that stuff is some of the most compelling stuff. And then the show gets bigger and bigger and cooler and cooler, you know. And it, it's sort of like to me, like, oh, if the first season is star trek on tv then star trek the movies should have been like game of Thrones season three you know because you have all these great fully developed civilizations like the romulans and the klingons you know and and the gorn and it's like why you know people say oh you know star trek needs its game of thrones it needs its game of thrones where people understand that you know it, it is such a rich universe it's been so well developed over you know decades it's like a tapestry, if you will. Why can't people just? Well, that's what that's what Discovery season three should have been. You know, they have this. They have the whole galaxy and all the machinations. Like, they haven't even mentioned the Klingons in Discovery. Are they not in the thirty second century? And that's one of the things I find aggravating about modern Star Trek is they they've dispensed with all of this rich universal backstory, and they don't avail themselves of it really at all. And it's it's frustrating to watch. Well, Nemesis marks kind of the end of our our journey of um, unproduced uh, or of, of deleted Star Trek. Um, I don't really, you know, we're not going to get into the JJ films. I don't think there's a ton that was cut, to to the best of my knowledge, from the JJ movies. And um, you know, this is sort of where our journey our journey ends because I think we we do best when we focus on um, Star Trek through the end of uh, Enterprise. You know, and we'll leave Disco Nights to cover everything after that. Um, you know, there was, I have to say that there was something in Next Generation that, um, again, when I was working on, I think I knew this because of you, Mark, the the episode, The Most Toys. Mm -hmm. Love that episode. The, 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 the character of Kivas Fajo was, um, was not originally played by Saul Rubinick. 
Right. Yeah, it was and David Rappaport. It was David Rappaport. And when I started working on with Roger Lay, I said, dude, we have to see if we can get the negative for that David Rappaport footage because they've got the negative. And so I had asked for it, you know, and 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 um, one day I get a drive and there's like some note that said no one's ever even looked at this negative. That like even when the movie, well, I mean, when the series when the was in production, right. nobody had even taken this negative out from the time that it was developed wow. and packed, and so they, I get this, I get the note saying this negative has never been touched, and we didn't know what it was when you asked for it. We just didn't know what it was, and we found it. We transferred it for you, mm. and so, wow. and so I cut it together, I cut and I used the original scene as it was with Saul Rubinick and cut all the scenes together. I even did quick and dirty comps so mm -hmm. i comped in stuff on the view screens and when paramount legal saw it they're like oh you can't you can't do these comps you can't make this look like it was real like no and then we're like this is lost star trek stuff and roger and i were like you've got to go so they they called they went to david rapaport's next of kin mm -hmm. because it was the last thing he ever shot yeah right Before and it's he died, on, yeah it's on the blue he died in the middle of that episode when they were filming he sadly committed suicide yeah well he didn't he tried to he mm. shot for one day and tried to kill himself and that was like in march mm. and then he was fired he succeeded in killing himself in like may mm. he made the attempt and that's why he was obviously it's so tragic wow but and it's so, so weird. this is such a great testament to him by, you know, you, you know, finding that footage and like allowing it to be seen. Well, it was so it was really interesting because I didn't know if it even existed, mm -hmm. you know, and CBS, CBS Digital is like, we don't know what this is, but we found it. Right. It was kind of thing like, great. You well, know, and, and it's not unlike what you guys did with Measure of a Man, where you expanded yeah. that. And that was something else. I mean, uh, that was, uh, I, again, I was in, I was in New York interviewing Patrick Stewart and they were talking about, they had got uh, the Akutas asked Melinda Snodgrass, do you still have the videotape that we gave you of the extended measure of a man? It's like 25 years later. And she says, yes, I have it. And they were going to, they did this actually, they were going to transfer the VHS. And I said to Ken Ross, I go, dude, we've got the negative. Why put the VHS version on it? Why Conform not just it, rebuild, yeah. rebuild it? And he, he looks at me, he goes, that's a great idea. He's like the Tony Soprano of network bosses. He's like, that's a great <laughs> idea. And of course the Akutas, there was only three different effect shots. I think there were like shots on pads and one outside a window or something. And, and so, and the first time anyone ever saw that was in the theater when they had the Fathom event right. with that and Q who. Right. Yep, yep, yep. And then you guys did the Roddenberry vault, which, you know, unbelievable. Well, yeah, that was Roger. I mean, I was a, a, a guest on the, or I don't know, did a interview for it, but um, right. yeah, that was a remarkable, um, uh, uh, remarkable set. Yeah. I mean, to, to find all that footage from the original um, series, uh, but you know, we should probably, re this was a, a very fertile topic. I, I, maybe we should revisit the Roddenberry vault and next generation uh, deleted scenes Um uh, it might also be interesting. Maybe we bring Michael Sussman in to talk about Enterprise and, you know, maybe somebody from Voyager and, and talk about the lost scenes from Voyager and Enterprise as yeah. well. Uh, so we can hit for the cycle. Right. Um, that would be that would be good. But uh, this is see, this was a good show. Nobody believed me when I said this was going to be a good show. <laughs> I think it was interesting. It was. We, we weren't we weren't quite celebrating the love like the Ewoks, but um, we, 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 we we kept it positive for the most part. Sure. 
good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good. It's hard, you know, it's hard with those movies because there's a lot to love and there's a lot not to like. You know, yeah. we're just being keeping it real. Maybe we're not celebrating the love, but we're keeping it real. That's our new logo for 2021. Keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> the Drexperts, we're keeping it real. <laughs> well, this was good. Well, um, anyway, I want to I want to end with some enthusiasm. So enthusiasm. I want to thank you guys for being a part of this trek down memory lane. And, um, I, you know, I look forward to us all being reunited once again to talk trek sometime in the future. But until then, I want to say special thanks to Peter Holmstrom, our production associate, Zach Graggitz, our production coordinator, our sound engineer, the great Bill Ritter, who makes it sound so good, even in lockdown, producer Natalie Miscali, and you, the listeners who stuck with us through this nonsense. And, uh, you know, if you want to tell us what you thought or have ideas for future shows, you can always uh, hit us up on Twitter at Inglorious Trexperts. A trek or an Instagram and Inglorious uh, Trexperts um, or on uh, Facebook <laughs> and, uh, and vote five, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. Unless you hate Mark podcast. That's right. That's right. If, if, if you don't like the show because I'm bashing on your man Trump, well, then you know what? Don't vote for us. Don't listen. I don't care. I don't care. We don't make any money on the show. We don't want to make any money. We just talk. And if you don't listen because you don't like my politics, too bad. I don't want you to listen. How about that? Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, Darren. That was my fault. Money money would be nice occasionally, too. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Who's going to pay us to listen to us talk about drink? (laughs) We we do it for free anyway. But... uh, Anyway, so uh, Rob, hey, great having you back on the show. <laughs> oh, always it's always good. a pleasure to be back. I mean, uh, you know, this is such a great podcast, and I can't believe how many we've done. You guys have it's, done. It's crazy. It's insane. And you can listen to Rob talk about Trek and many other things on the Burnettwick on YouTube. So check that out. And but then on social. Trek. Is that right? Okay, well, there you go. Unless oh, you but... like Discovery, you probably won't enjoy my show. <laughs> but if you do, are you a fan of Modern Trek? Check out our sister podcast, Disco Nights, uh, with host Chase Masterson and Ryan Britt, as they talk about everything new under the sun in the Modern Trek universe. And you can also listen to my favorite podcast, Best Movies Never Made, where um, two uh, experts explore the best movies that never saw the light of projector bulb. And that's a really terrific podcast. And of course the 430 movie where we explore and curate fantasy theme weeks of our favorite movies in the style of the 430 movie of yore. So uh, until next time, I want to thank Rob and Ashley and most of all the great Darren Dockerman who puts up with my bullshit on the show uh, for joining us. And we'll see you next time as we keep on Going in glorious. Ah, yes. Wait, hold on. Uh, and uh, and and until and next take time. Two. So <laughs> keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Engage. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.